This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. You can't have art without limitation. And I, I just feel that uh, the best work that I come up with is when I'm pushing up against limitations, that it's the tension in the work that makes the work most the most interesting. How do our limits help us to love? And how do our limits in art and creativity and even the limits of our season and where we live and our relationships affect our vocation? These are some big questions about the imagination, artistic vocation, but don't worry. This is such a practical, helpful way for us to think about the relationship between art and limits in our faith. You'll want to listen in to this fabulous conversation with Ned Bustard. He's a visual artist and you won't want to miss it. Listen in. Welcome to the Finding Holy Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Hales, author of A Spacious Life. I love big ideas, but ideas have to move beyond an ivory tower to find their application in the midst of our work and our laundry routines. Here on the Finding Holy Podcast, expect conversations about how to live faithfully in a post-Christian world, but without the vitriol, posturing, or shouting across the aisles. All right, friends, it's really fun to welcome Ned Bustard to the Finding Holy podcast. He is an artist, an illustrator. He is an elder at a church. He's got his hands in so many fabulous projects. But I want to talk with Ned a little bit about art and limitations. So thanks for being here. Thank you for the invitation. You are so welcome. So tell us a little bit about how you got started producing art and how did it become a career just to kind of orient our listeners if they haven't seen your lovely illustrations and things like Every Moment Holy. I think you also did Karen Swallow Pryor's book on reading well. I did. Yeah. You've done yeah. Uh, it, it's funny that the question, how do you make a career out of that? I don't know if I, I quite have a career, but I am I am still alive and I'm uh I've been at this for a while. Yeah, it's interesting. Most folks now know me about every know of me be through every moment holy, mm-hmm. which I'm thrilled with. That was a a dream project uh, that I kind of stumbled on. Uh, I I uh, I go to a Presbyterian church now, and I'm an elder there. And if you know Presbyterians, we're all about dogma and theology and never talk about the Holy Spirit. But <laughs> in times like this, I'm like, it is the Holy Spirit yeah. because there'd be no reason for me to, uh, I didn't know anyone at the rabbit room and uh, that whole project came together in a beautiful way. Before that, folks knew me because I, uh, most of my uh, career as an, a designer has been creating homeschool materials. Mm-hmm. So uh, I do a lot, I've done a lot of that over the years and that's how most folks knew who I was. Um, it's certainly more fun that, that folks know me now because of Every Moment Holy. Uh, it's been quite an exciting yeah. thing to have uh, yeah, complete strangers say, oh, I just love that Every Moment Holy. And I was like, wow. Because in the past, I'd be like, do you even know that I exist? Or, uh, <laughs> you know, people would say, oh, what do you do? I'm like, well, I've done this, this, and this, and, and you know, just blank stare. So 
Uh, I do I do stuff with Rabbit Room, the Every Moment Holy Books, which um, is like I said, it's just been a wonderful experience for me. Uh, I've also done a couple other books for them. Uh, we redid uh, George McDonald's The Late Princess, mm-hmm. and uh, we have a new book coming out uh, through them called The Lost Tales of Sir Galahad. Oh, fun! And that's going to be it's it's a great collection of all these stories that are brand new written with the idea of pretending that they've just been uncovered. Yeah, oh, fun. And I I have I have all illustrated all of them, so that's coming out in the spring. That sounds magical. Yes. And then you also have your children's book with IVP that came out this fall. Yeah. Oh, that's another miracle that shouldn't have happened. I, I, you know, again, Holy Spirit, crazy action. Um, that I, I did. A, the, the one book is The Owen Hope, and that's by the amazing Lucy Shaw. And mm-hmm. I read her poem one day. Uh, my wife and I read it, and we said, this should be a kid's book. I never do this, but I actually designed the whole book sent it to her and said, I just think this should be a kid's book. And she was very pleased and shared it with InterVarsity because she has had done books with them before. And uh, they came back and they said, this is a secret. Nobody knows this, but we're starting a kid's book line. Can we use this? And Lucy and I were like, yes, you can. And then uh, while we were working on the book together, I I pitched uh, St. Nicholas, the gift giver to IVP. I said, I know this is very, very uh, presumptuous of me, but I do have this other book and I'd love for you to have, um, consider it. And they ended up making that their uh, what launch book. What is that? Their first book that goes out, whatever you call that. That's what it was. That's exciting. Yes. Well done. So you have quite an illustrious career. I would love for you to talk maybe Firstly, as we think, maybe let's think about the actual art making process and what that looks like for you. We had talked before we started recording, you had this fantastic quote, of course, from G.K. Chesterton about all art is limitation. Um, you know, that that all art is limitation, that we are actually defined by, you know, the frame. You can't create everything, right? You have a set space. So I'd love um, maybe as we think about art and limits and what does that look like for you, if you could just simply describe your process, what does that look like to be limited by that frame uh, in the art that you're creating? How does that help you be? Does it help you be more creative? Does it stretch you? Does it anger you? I'd love to hear just here, like in the actual process, what does that look like? Yeah. Uh, I'm all about, yeah. Art, art is limitation. I actually have that quote on my uh, apron that I wear when I'm pulling prints, uh, just as a reminder. And um, yeah, and I think Chesterton also talked about you have to draw the line somewhere. And that that's the that's this whole idea that you can't have art without limitation. And uh, I always say I do graphic design, and I always say to people that uh, the, talking about the importance of this because folks will say, "Well, do whatever you want." And I'm, I always reply that this is the worst thing you could possibly say to me. It, like, I, I, I can't just do whatever. I want. For, for one thing, you have something in mind. And once I do whatever I want, then you're not going to like it because it's not what you had in mind. And, and, and I, I just feel that uh, the best work that I come up with is when I'm pushing up against, against limitations, that it's the tension in the work that makes the work most, the most interesting. Um, if you... If you have paint and you pour it on a table, 
that's all you have. It just goes. <laughs> um, but once you once you actually want to start doing something and making it um, worthwhile or communicate at all, there has to be limitations. So I'm I'm a big one for that. Again, with uh, with art making and and design and and all these things, I love collaboration. Not because it's pleasant, but because it gives you someone to push up against. And, um, uh, you know, I always talk when I'm working with folks, I say, well, push back because it's all about that, that tension. If you just let me do whatever I want, it's going to be ugly probably because I need, I need to have some kind of, uh, I need limitations. I need to say, um, that there, there's a finite amount of choices that I can make. If you give me two, you know, it's like going to the supermarket and you have all those cereals in front of you, like, Okay, I know I like Cheerios, but like there's all these other options here. I could go on for hours and never choose a cereal because there's just too much. That's actually, I use that exact illustration. We'll actually talk about condiments, but in the first chapter of my book, right? oh, okay. but yeah, that we have so many choices and we think that more choices or more options are actually going to give us freedom and meaning and worth, but they don't. No, no. Well, and, and you find that in worship too, that uh, to have even a limited liturgy really helps you and guides you. And I mean, with my art making as well, uh, I've found with my printmaking, I've, I had, I explored, explored a lot of different sizes and options. And then I realized I want people to hang this on the wall. So I started making all of my artwork fit standard size frames that you could get at the local hobby shop because that, like, okay, that, that's an, that's an artificial limitation, but it's a way that I can love the people who I'm giving the artwork to or buying the artwork. And it, it gives me a, a framework in which to say, literally, uh, to, to, <laughs> to say, okay, it, it's only going to go this far and then it's going to stop. And what, what do I do with that, that space? How do you start answering those questions about, you know, if you have the limits of a frame, for instance, how do you begin when you have a blank slate? What sort of questions, what framework do you ask yourself to begin to actually live within those limitations artistically? Yeah. Well, first, uh, and this is peculiar for me in when I'm talking to other artist friends, like some of my friends, they just create the work and then then they say, well, what is this? I start maybe 90% of the time with a title mm. and I because uh, I'm very... You know, my work is not very abstract. It's not fuzzy, like uh, modern stuff. It's it's very illustrative. It's very didactic. Um, so often I'll I'll start with a title for a piece or a theme for a piece, and and begin there. And that at that point, then I decide, well, where is this going to be used? Um, you know, is this going to be in a book or uh, you know, like the the Karen Swallow Prior book that you mentioned? Those are all. Uh, I measured them today, eight by five, because it had to fit that that book. So, so I, you know, you, you start with that. I, I, for me, it's it's thinking about the the end user a lot, uh, the receiver, the the person who's going to enjoy the art. Very little of my art is made for me to say, oh, I need to express myself, and I just have this deep thing that I need to get out. No, I'm about communication and about serving the person who I'm, I'm uh, making this for. 
even if I don't know know them. Like with every moment, holy books, I, I'm thinking about um, those that that's got to be a to a large audience. So I need to think through even my symbolism or the the um, the subject matter that that uh, that I you know that I'm working on. Like I, I'm not going to do. I have a book called Revealed, a storybook Bible for grownups, and that book is for grownups so that there with the illustrations there can be more about um the the difficult stories in the bible the rapes loots and pillaging that i'm not going to do when i'm doing a book for ivp kids right you know we're just <laughs> we're going to skip over yeah. song of solomon we're going to skip over well basically kings and first right. samuel a second lot samuel. of those there's just too much in there yeah 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 <laughs> No Tamar stories in there, nothing. So, you know, so you're, I'm thinking about my neighbor. I'm thinking about who's going to be receiving this. And that's, that's what drives, drives the artwork. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. To, I mean, to think about in so much of when we think about art, we think about, you know, the limits of the self instead of the limits of the community. Um, and so I think there's just something really restorative, um, <laughs> you know, to be able to think about the art that we create isn't first and foremost a kind of self-expression, right? But is is a gift to others. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, you see a lot. We live in a kind of artsy part of town here, and and I haven't seen it recently, but there it was very popular to have a, a bumper sticker that said "Fear no art," and it was just kind of a obnoxiously self-obsessed, uh, I don't know, narcissistic thing to put out there. I'm like, no, I think you, I think. That I don't know. There's just a lot that is implied by that, which I have no time for. I think it, it's it's uh, self-centered, self-worship, and uh, I think that my art. And you know, if you're a plumber, you know, you're 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 thinking about other people. That the water has to fl- flow through the pipes for my neighbor. I'm not going to just say, well, I kind of feel that I need a pipe here. Right. <laughs> this would be something beautiful and fantastic, and would make a nice sculpture. <laughs> Yes. Parenthetically, there is a great artist named Lynn Aldrich, and she makes uh, sculptures, Christian artists. I I love her. She's fantastic. Most of her work is made from uh, things that she finds at the hardware store. And she has a whole series of, of these sculptures made out of drainage pipes and stuff. They're just fantastic. So. That is cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, it is possible, but the plumber should probably not do that. The artist should. Probably not. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> um, then they're not a plumber. Then right. they're a sculptor. Right. And there you, you go. D- yeah. No, you're calling. Yes. And different limits on what we do with our time and our attention. Um, so, you know, as we think, you know, as you think about, you know, creating art and creating for art for your neighbor, if we kind of widened the the frame a little bit and we began to think about, you know, you mentioned liturgy beforehand. Um, what are the sort of forms that you find yourself as a Christian artist kind of, you know, growing into or growing towards? So, you know, I'm just thinking about, you know, how might our churches be more beautiful? Um, you know, how might we bring the gifts of the artist to the Christian community, um, you know, in a, in a wider frame, evangelicalism, you know, if we back up a little bit, has tended to be, you know, very action-oriented, very pragmatic um, in its history. And so for you as an artist, you know, how do you, how do you help us engage those limits, the limits of our history, um, but then also say, how can we use art maybe to, to think anew about our Christian practices? 
what's interesting, I think, or I find interesting is actually I designed the, the liturgical services at my church, which uh, most churches shouldn't <laughs> ever give an artist that responsibility. Like, <laughs> like that wasn't a good idea. But I, basically what I did is I complained enough and uh, the pastor just got tired of me complaining. So he let me design the worship. And, and I'm just very interested in, in, in liturgy and, and how we worship. I think, uh, I think that there's a tension with all of these things is, again, it comes back to loving your neighbor. And also, what's the point of church? Uh, I had uh, one young artist. Our church seems to attract a lot of artists, which is great. But the, this one woman wanted me to set things up so that we could have workstations around the sanctuary where people could go and make art during the worship service. And I was like, well, I love you and Jesus loves you, but this is the worst idea I've ever heard of. (laughs) To to go back to the plumbing analogy, I I don't really need to set up like toilets all around the church just so that plumbers can go and and express themselves during worship. Right. Yeah. That being said, I think that it's important for uh, our brothers and sisters to learn their church history uh, there's plenty of uh, aspects of worship and and our culture as as the church that were jettisoned over the years um, for pragmatism. You know, I've I grew yeah. up in uh, a Christian school and it was a Baptistic Christian school, or I guess we would say non-denominational, and and there was just. It's just uh, love Jesus and go be a, a pastor or a minister or something. And I think we truncate our ourselves as humans and as Christians with that kind of approach. So there's an aspect of looking back. I would want people to look at church history, see what has been done. Most of my work has a lot of Christian symbolism worked in. And for me, they make complete sense. But I've been studying church art and church history. And so, um, you know, if you want to enjoy my artwork, you're going to need to do a little work. You're going to need to read up. And uh, once you do, you find there's a lot of rich um, insights that can come through the visuals. Like uh, even if we set aside, you know, there's some uh, uh, strains of the church that say, well, we can't depict Jesus. All right. I disagree with that, but let's set that aside. Just even with that not on the table, we still have plenty to work with and plenty to talk about. Goodness gracious, we live in a world where we're made in the image of the creator and uh, we've got a lot of raw material to work with. And I think that if uh, we see our faith and our Christian life as part of that rather than than separated from that, I think, you know, we... We thought that we got rid of Gnostics a long time ago, but if you look at the church, they're they're alive and well, and um, everyone's like, "Well, I'm just going to have this spiritual experience in my head, or <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. that, that kind of thing." By myself, like, well, yeah, you are, yeah, right? By by myself, exactly. R- rather than saying, "Well, I've been put in a body, and I have a body, and I think those things are important." I mean, the flip side is you have folks saying, "Well, I mean, I guess it's an extreme form of Gnosticism. I'm just going to go." out into the woods and commune with God. Well, that that's not biblical either. Um, but you are, you, are, you are a bodied, incarnated person. Jesus came in a body, and we need to extrapolate some of the uh, implications of that. 
in our lives as, as believers. Oh, amen. Speak in my language. I love it. Are you worn out by hurry and hustle, and yet you don't know what it looks like to find a better way? Well, Jasmine Holmes called my book, A Spacious Life, Balm for a Weary Soul. Tish Harrison Warren called it a needed tonic, and Jen Pollock-Michelle talks about it as rescuing us from the siren call of self-help. Join these women as they have experienced both their own limits and seen how my book, A Spacious Life, helps all of us to embrace the goodness of our God-given limits. Find out more at aspacious.life. That's aspacious.life. This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So, whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, BOW offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. You know, as a Christian artist, seeing that as your vocation, and, you know, as we're thinking through these things, one, I'd love to hear kind of how do you kind of rekindle your own imagination? What does that look like practically for you? And then how also can we look to artists to help us rekindle kind of a, a Christian imagination rather than, you know, a simply pragmatic or kind of intellectually disembodied sort of sense of faith? Well, I think uh, that's like 12 different questions right in there. Uh, I know. And that's like <laughs> 800 books. I realize. Uh, I'm sorry. But, you know, we're we're jumping in. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna respond to to one and you can circle me back. Okay. Uh, the, the one thing that I thought of when you were saying that is generally artists are scary people for most folks, and so if artists scare you, that's all right. Why don't you go and find yourself a good poet? I mentioned Lucy Shaw in the beginning. She's a fantastic poet. Loves Jesus dearly. Is completely orthodox in her theology, and creates just works of art with what she writes. Um, there's an uh, artist who I, I love named, uh, a poet named Malcolm Geit, uh, G-U-I-T-E. He's fantastic. Uh, and uh, actually, I just did a book with him, uh, Lifting the Veil, Imagination in the Kingdom of God. It's on my nightstand. <laughs> oh, is it? it is. Oh, perfect. Yeah. It's a great book. Um, and uh, even if I didn't make it, I'd say it was a great book. But like, those are two people that that uh, I would encourage folks to go find what they've written and spend time with it. Because I think that that is a way to enter in, to kind of reconnect with who we are 
as uh, creative people and as incarnated people. And both of those artists really, both of, both of those poets really encourage us to stop and look at the world around them. And I think uh, that's a great place to start um, to start unnosticizing us. <laughs> There's got to be a better word for that. But, you know, deconstructing our, our uh, lack of, of incarnated faith. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So those are really great, easy starting points. Both of those poets are very accessible um, for a Christian audience, which is lovely. So it's a little less scary. You know, if we start going, okay, like I'm kind of getting this, this is great, you know, for all those people who don't read poetry for fun, for whom Malcolm Guy might not be on their nightstand. What, how do we begin to learn and lean into um, like rekindling our imagination if we're not like, you know, the poet types or artist types, how, how might we begin to, you know, I just, I guess I'm asking this question um, because I think, you know, for instance, the pandemic has really revealed the kind of thinness of Christian discipleship. Um, and part of, yeah. And part of that discipleship, of course, isn't just intellectual, it's bodily, it's artistic, it's an imaginative that we've, you know, in the last 50 years, we've lost a sense of formation as far as being fully human. And, and, um, we've lost the ability almost to connect the dots between what we read and how we live in the world. So, you know, I asked this question, hoping, of course, Ned, that you can solve us, solve it for us. <laughs> as a no. I, do, I can, I actually have all the answers. I have all the answers, but I'm, I'm under contract that I can't give all the answers out in every podcast. So Shoot. I feel bad about that because <laughs> I should have told you up front right. that there's only limit, uh, limited. Right. Yes. Uh, well, we are amount. talking about art and limits. So I appreciate, you know, you bringing that. Back right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, uh, one thing I think of when you're talking about imagination, I, uh, well, again, Malcolm Geith's new book, but uh, we often talk about, I go back to, to C.S. Lewis over and over. Cause I feel like he and, and Tolkien, uh, we're about rekindling our imaginations and and opening our opening us up to that in ways that we as a as a collective we had 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 gotten rid of. I think um, I think there's a lot to be said for just getting together with other people. The the I mean, you mentioned the pandemic. I think that that's one of those things that we've seen is that uh, Zoom doesn't cut it. Uh, <laughs> that we need people in our lives. And that we, when we don't have them, uh, we suffer. I think that um, to get people together in, in care groups, small groups, and just be with each other. Um, yeah, so there, there's that, reading Lewis. So, But see, again, that's books, poetry, it's books. You, we're seeing some of my, my inclinations here. Um, there's an organization that I've been a member of for like 30 years called Christians in the Visual Arts, CIVA, C-I-V-A dot org. And uh, folks could look at that to kind of get a idea of of the arts as uh, entry points for that. Um, there are lots of great artists out there who are are doing doing strong work that's really rooted. Um, yeah, I've just you know to to you know besides reading some of these poets or reading Lewis. What are ways that we can begin to kind of rekindle Christian imagination? How can we follow arts 
the arts and artists? You know, what do you do to kind of um, kind of rekindle your own imaginative way of looking at the world? Well, spending time with art is helpful. Spending time with people who get art. Like my my wife is a poet and she is great for me as far as rekindling my imagination. Because you'd think, oh, well, Ned's the visual artist, so he must be really in tune in touch with these things. But I'm telling you, most of the time, it's my wife saying, wait, stop, let's look at this leaf. And I'm saying, I don't want to look at the leaf. I want to keep moving on to the next thing. And she's like, no, look at the beauty here. Let's look at this, the sky. Um, so I think it's finding people who who have eyes to see and they can disciple us visually as much as uh, uh, folks would disciple us uh, with the word. Though I think that that's another thing is just read God's word with expecting surprise um, and and expecting your imagination to be kindled. Square Halo Books, the book publishing company that I have, we have a new book coming out. Anyway, the, the, the premise of the book is basically come to God's word expecting to be surprised. And I think that that um, really kindles our imagination. I, I find that when I'm listening to sermons, I usually take notes. I have a drawing doodle book while, and I'll write down. And I think it's just the aspect of hearing God's word, uh, someone speaking God's word into your life that you like, oh, well, I've never seen that before. I, one of my lino cuts I have is of Shamgar. He was one of the judges. He's got one verse in the Bible. And I was I was reading through and I came across this guy and he's he's killing 600 Philistines with a, a goat prod or something like this. And I was like, what in the world? Where did this guy come from? He, he's, you know, my whole life in the church, I've never heard about Shamgar. Uh, but you, know, you you hear things like that. You think, oh, wait a second. that That's something I never thought about. And then just reading through God's word with an expectation to be surprised. Um, but it's, it's hard because we, we tend to say that we have all the answers. I think that's part, partly, par- partially because we want to seem like we're spiritually mature. But if, if you really come to God's word saying, I want to be taught, um, that's probably one of the most spiritually mature places to, <laughs> to start with. And then you actually can learn things. Uh, you know, I'm in a leadership of our church and we talk, we're looking at, well, who are we going to get for the next deacons and elders of our church? And for me, I want to see people who are eager to learn. You know, we talk about, is this person teachable? Well, a lot of times we're not teachable uh, just as, as human beings. And if, if you have that, uh, that stance or that presupposition that I know everything already, then there, there is no room for wonder. There's no room for imagination uh, I think that this is part of the problem we we've we've uh, inherited by from uh, the Enlightenment and just uh, the 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 scientific uh, you know everything in our life right now is reducible to well that's a chemical reaction or that's a mineral or or, or what whatnot and and that's a that's a that's a way of looking at the world that is truncated and um, will kill you. <laughs> you know, but so uh, I'm not saying it's not true. I like going to my doctor and then being able to inject things into my body that help me feel better by all means. But uh, after I get that thing injected in my body and feel better, I want to go back outside and look at the clouds and say, that looks like a fluffy dragon or that looks like, you know, 
what have you. Yeah, no, those are really some helpful things for us to think about, you know, like the teachability, the coming to be surprised to God's word are all really, you know, things that we can do, even if we don't consider ourselves artists, um, but to realize that we are all created in the image of a creative, in the image of a creative God. What limits in your own life have caused you to be a better artist? I, I really feel, feel the limitations of, of what I do drives a lot of what I, what I am. I think I am self-employed artist. So I have a finite amount of time to, to do work and everything I do, I'm always thinking in quarter hour billable increments. So that, that kind of changes my approach to art making. Uh, I also went to a teacher's college not a, a real art school. So there's a lot of um, there's a lot of things that I just did not learn in 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 college as an artist. Well, I, before that, I went to a Christian school, and you could either be in the choir or be in the art department. And I loved making art, but all the all my friends were in choir, so I I stuck with the music thing. So all that time in high school, I could have been learning things about my craft. I wasn't. Then I got to college and I was more, again, I was more interested in being in InterVarsity Christian Fellowship and hanging out with my friends than being in art classes or spending time with that. Uh, and like I said, it was a, it was a teacher's college. It wasn't even a, a real art school. So I took, my major was art, but there was so much that I didn't learn there. There's so many techniques. So I don't know how to paint. I don't know how to uh, draw an apple realistically. I don't know. You go through the list. Um, there are all these things that I don't know how to do. And then uh, another limitation is just my affections. I love medieval life and Celtic art. And when you love those things, those uh, those are limitations. Your loves are limitations. I love my wife. That means I don't love all those other women down the street. It's not a bad thing. Obviously, that's God's plan, but it is a limitation. Um, I'm able to go deeper in that, my love for this one woman rather than a shallow. So my love for Celtic art, for medieval art, for illustration, those have, have limited me. And then um, just the whole technology of printmaking, which I've, I kind of embraced about 10 years ago out of a desire to make real art because I didn't think my graphic design and my, my uh, other illustration was real. Uh, that ha that's, a, that's a technique that has very strong limitations. It's black and white. I'm carving away the white and I'm leaving the black. So it, it's, um, you know, those, those things limit me. And then uh, I'm, I want to love my, my community. So a lot of my artwork is, driven by how will this serve serve the church how will it serve my church how will it um communicate truth so th those are all i i mean i guess they sound rather broad but they're all limitations yeah i mean talking about art one of my favorite quotes i went to a labrie conference years ago and uh, wade bradshaw said that when it comes to making art if you can picture a table and tabletop, everything on top of the table is loving your neighbor. And you just got to stay on top of the table. 
So it gives you a lot of room there. You can say, well, as soon as I stop loving my neighbor, I've fallen off the table and that's not what God would have me do. So it's it's a health, helpful way to think of of our of our limitations as in that way, I think. Mm-hmm. And you know, as I'm as I hear you talk too, I'm just I'm reminded that a lot of these limitations are actually like a vocational path, right? Like the the type, you know, the type of art you do, the 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 way in which you are thinking about it in terms of loving God and loving neighbor and loving your family. You know, so many of these things we tend to just when we look at it from this idea of limitation, we can t- be just feel restricted. But um it's really a this, and get depressed. You, right, right. Like, oh, I can't yeah. do all these other things. No, I yeah. I have I struggle with that all the time. Uh, Instagram is is my favorite and worst favorite, you know. It's 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 a millstone around my neck because I follow other artists and I think, "Oh my goodness, that person can draw like nobody's business. I can't draw that well." So they're like, I can't draw horses, so I'm not going to do a horse. <laughs> right. I, yeah. I can't draw it. Yeah. And it really is depressing, but you think, well, God placed me at this time and in this place, and I need to lean into that. That doesn't mean that you're sloppy or you don't spend time working, but I'm sorry, I interrupted you. I was just so excited. No, no, no. I think, no, I think it's so great. Like it's, you know, I think we can tend to think of our limitations exactly like you're saying with, we can't, you know, I can't draw the horse and therefore I shouldn't do art, but, you know, or something, but to say like, actually, this is the path. This is my unique vocation in the world. And I lean into it and I work harder within those guardrails that I have. Yeah. And, 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 and rejoice that God has given you that, that, and, and uh, yeah, my, my poor wife just suffers listening to me because I'll complain all the time that I can't do this. I can't do that. And she's like, people love your artwork. I'm like, well, I don't care. <laughs> I, I, I want to be able to do this, that, and the other. Rather than saying, well, I can do this well, let me lean into that and do this as well as I can and realize that God has, has placed me in at this time to do this with these particular skills, and I need to exercise them to the best of my abilities. Recognizing that I, I, I'm, not a, I'm, not a, I'm not a potter, I'm not a sculptor, I can't draw horses well. So, okay, well, let, let's not draw horses and let's find other things that, that you can do and uh, yeah, do them well. Yeah. You know, I'm, yeah, I'm just struck with so much of our conversation and the ways in which, you know, there, there has to be this, this growth mindset. There has to be this sense of failure is okay. There has to be a sense of, you know, this is contributing to, you know, the health and the, you know, the thicker fabric of my society and church and marriage and neighborhood. Um, so many big things happen through our limitations. So appreciate you drawing all those threads together. Literally and figuratively. <laughs> Quite. Um, but before we end, Ned, I do love asking everybody about their laundry routine. So you don't have to make it an artistic laundry routine, but you can just tell us your laundry routine. And the reason I ask this, so it comes from Kathleen Norris in her book, little teeny book called The Quotidian Mysteries, where she she comes back to faith because she sees the Catholic priest cleaning out the chalice um, in the mass. And she says, wow, God's actually concerned with the dishes, you know, and, and it becomes this moment of the, the transcendent breaking through the mundane. So I ask everybody their laundry routines. So what's your laundry routine? Yeah, she's, <laughs> yeah, she's great. Uh, I think, uh, I mean, laundry gets done in the house. Uh, I would admit that it's my wife who does 99% of the laundry. 
uh, and in college, I would bring my laundry home to my mom. <laughs> Though, interestingly enough, my mother-in-law would let me do the laundry, but not let her daughter do the laundry. I don't know. There's pro- some kind of something to unpack there. Uh, but when I think about laundry and my own practices, it it's more about my uh, obsessions is what I think of. So I, I really like uh, crazy socks. So there's a lot of sock matching and can I actually match or can I put these two socks together that don't match, but are color coordinated, which I realize is, is rather weird. Also, I love uh, printed t-shirts. I think that goes back to my childhood days when I would see those cool seventies t-shirts that my mom wouldn't buy for me. So I'm always making custom design t-shirts or buying custom design t-shirts. So there's a, there's a lot for me about, okay, well, I, I've got, I've got to get these t-shirts I've got to fold them in such a way that I can see the design on them right. because there's a lot of blue ones and a lot of black ones, but they're very different. Right. You know, you I, I don't want to commit out. to my Doctor Who t-shirt right. when I really wanted my my Captain Marvel t-shirt. And so there, there's a lot of a lot of uh, careful folding to make sure that I can I can get all the colors right and I can identify the design on the t-shirt. I love that. And this is really how you end your podcast. Are you I sure do. that this is this is the best thing? I do, and everyone loves it. I did actually a few um, even episodes on laundry. It was fun. On laundry. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. And I it, my daughter lives in New York and her roommates chose a dishwasher over having in 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 an apartment uh washer dryer, which I think was a mistake. I think that um I'd much rather do yes. dishes than have to leave my house to do laundry. I would agree. Although if they're single, maybe they don't have to do it quite as often. If you don't have like a whole household of a bunch of people. Well, there is that. There, There, there is that. Um, I do like talking to people in New York City about their laundry routines. It's a whole new business <laughs> than <laughs> yeah. I, when I when I found out that my daughter was paying someone to do this, I was like, oh my word, that that's a paradigm shift. I can't even I can't even get my head around that. <laughs> yeah. But she's like, Dad, I have to. I have to have that done. I'm not going to do it myself. I was like, all right, <laughs> okay. sure. That's a thing. That's a sure. thing. Yeah. Well, thank you, Ned. It's been such a pleasure. I appreciate your good work in the world and helping us think even more clearly about our art and our limitations and how we might kind of stoke our imaginations. Thanks for being here. This was great. A lot of fun. I appreciate you inviting me on. You're welcome. Friends, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Ned Bustard. Please head on over to the show notes. He's given us so many great ways to get connected with him. You can see some of his artwork and even order prints from Every Moment Holy. And there's some great thoughtful books that he's contributed to or published all about art and the Christian life. You'll want to check those out. As I do every week, I want to encourage you with one small step. And I'm going to take a cue from Ned and his wife. They talked about the idea of simply going outside and looking at a leaf. And I know that probably feels like not worth your time, and it feels like way too much to do, and it doesn't seem like it's going to give you something back. And so you don't want to do it, but I'm going to encourage you this week, spend two minutes and go look at a leaf or look at the clouds. Pay close attention. Part of how we rekindle a Christian imagination is this longing to be surprised. 
And maybe you'll find something surprising in that leaf. Of course, go grab a print of Ned's or grab one of these great books that he's recommended. Read Malcolm Guy, read Lucy Shaw, read C.S. Lewis. These things will help us. But in two minutes, go look at a leaf. Practice paying attention. Friends, it's been really lovely to be with you this week. I hope you are enjoying this series on Art and Limits. Make sure you are subscribed to the Finding Holy podcast. It is a great way to stay connected. You won't miss a single conversation, and it will stoke your own Christian imagination. So thanks for being here. Subscribe. Leave a review if you can. These things help these great conversations continue. Remember, friends, big things matter, but so does your laundry. This episode was brought to you in part by the Table Podcast at Dallas Theological Seminary. Listen to rotating hosts discuss issues of God and culture to demonstrate theology's relevance in everyday life. Find it on your podcast app. For videos and more, visit dts.edu slash podcast.